Welcome to Corporate Cafecito, a podcast based on professional development, career growth, and respecting our cultural identity. Welcome back to Corporate Cafecito. Soy Nayeli Suarez Guest, and today joining me is Omar Sanchez. Welcome back. Hey, hey, woohoo. Hi, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you recall, Omar was on here last time. His episode is actually one of our most downloaded still, which is how to build a culture. Wow. And we talked about Omar's barbershop, which he started what, in 2000? 2002. 2002. Mm-hmm. Still open, right? It's still open. I sold it in 2020, and um, I still go back to it because it's it's like my home uh, i sold it to a buddy of mine and since we're such good friends i kind of still oversee it for him to a certain degree i'm able to cut hair there for free for the rest of my life so long as it's open that's in the contract god bless him he's the one who actually put that in there and i helped run it because it was such a natural thing for me when i go in there i feel like it's my baby still and i treat it as such so when i still see stuff that i don't like i'm gonna fix it <laughs> so but yeah we're still there shameless plug 6054 west fullerton <laughs> anytime you guys monday through sunday now he's got every chair filled every and it's some it's busy it's 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 getting busy again because it's getting warmer right yeah so, yeah you gotta hopefully. get lined up before the weekend right yeah i was right. like okay go in on a monday or tuesday because on the weekends forget it it gets packed so omar that was the first business you opened right mm-hmm. and how old were you then I was 23. 23. Yeah, I was 23 years old when I opened up that business, and it was uh, it was scary. But at the same time, I had well, I purchased it off the guy I opened it with. So mm-hmm. we opened to the, um, his name was Mike, a gentleman that when I started working at his at his barber shop, I was still getting my license. My actual goal was to go and work downtown in a a downtown salon. So I did learn how to cut women's hair, how to color women's hair, because that's truly where the real money is. But believe it oh, or not, believe it or not, barbering has come a long way. And yeah, it men has. men are starting to want to become more pampered, just like the ladies. And it's just almost like a, a mixture of the two now. So it's come a long way. They've expanded the services, so there's money to be made there as well. But we basically continue to grow there we're at a maximum 16 chairs and every chair is full the guy's about to add another one and um you know everyone's going to need a haircut that's the good that's the beauty of the industry that everyone's yeah, going to need a haircut and i don't think robots will be able to do that no. you know? <laughs> I see, not, I, yet. not yet not yet we've been talking about it for a long time I, i'm fearful like what if it malfunctions what was Ooh. the flow the, the flow bead the things are great like i have so many memes on that you know <laughs> Well, I think that what we have through your barbershop is an experience. Mm -hmm. So I'm not surprised that it's becoming more experiential because if you think about like what women get out of a salon, Mm -hmm. we get to go there. We say, we talk, we were joking earlier about how it's like therapy. You know, you talk to someone and you leave there looking good, feeling like a little lighter and you're off to face the day. So I'm I'm not surprised to hear that men are leaning towards that experience. I know my husband David went to one and they even put like a hot towel yeah. and he was just like, "Oh, that was that was a lot." And yeah. and he goes, "Do you do this every time?" I'm like, "Oh, every time I go, I yeah. have coffee and yeah. cookies and yeah. like talk to Silvana, which is my hair Your lady, but, um nice. 
But I think that that's really important. And one of the things that I know about you mm-hmm. is that you love giving people the experience Correct. and the gift of Omar. Correct. And so that was your first business. And then what did you do? And I so the topic for today is serial entrepreneurism. Yeah. yeah. If that's how you say it. <laughs> <laughs> I was dabbling in real estate. Throughout my barbering career, I was buying homes, I was renting them out, and I was also flipping them while I was a barber. I always gravitated towards real estate. I've read that most millionaires in America made their money, most self-made millionaires made their money through real estate. And when I started learning it, I was like, wow, this is this this is possible. It's not easy. You know, it sounds easy when they tell you, this is what you do, this is what you do. You know, you get all these now yeah, you YouTube You paint the walls gurus. and then you put a couple beans yeah, on you the do ceiling this, you do and that, boom. It is a still also a people's business because especially when you become a landlord, my ultimate goal is is having, the way I equated it was, all right, I'm renting out my chairs at the barbershop. What if each one of these chairs were an apartment or a building or a single family home that I could rent out mm-hmm. where each each chair would give me at the time, let's say 850 bucks a, a, a month. What if I can get fifteen hundred bucks a month or two thousand bucks a month, right? And you multiply that times two, three, six, seven, ten, twelve, fifteen, and it just keeps growing and growing. So that was my idea as I dabbled in it. When the pandemic hit, my real estate broker, who was also like my Komai in a sense, you know, she's she's my um my wife's high school bestie. She had told me, Omar, you know, you should go into real estate, so on and so forth. And I and I already had been thinking about doing that. And so before the pandemic hit in twenty I want to say 2018 or 19, I started doing a class and then I let some time pass because I was busy with the, with the barbershop. Oh, here's a serial part. I also did life insurance. I was going to tell you, I'm like, you're forgetting that. (laughs) I did life insurance from like 2015 to 2020. And here comes the serial entrepreneurial part of it. It got to a point where cutting hair became monotonous to me, right? I started cutting hair in 2000. By 2010, 13, I was like, oh, there's got to be more to this in life, you know? So I started doing a little bit of real estate on the side, flipping homes, renting out. And in 2008, I had about five buildings and homes, and then the market collapsed. Yeah. So it drove me away from real estate, right? And I'm like, okay, let's just start cutting hair out. Um, I rented out the storefront next door and I tried to open up a beauty salon. I the beauty that. salon didn't work mm-hmm. because it was a different dynamic. I was I was accustomed to dealing with barbers, but now you bring in beauticians or stylists. Titles matter nowadays, right? So it was a different animal. Well, you know, <laughs> this is a true story. Every every beautician or every stylist that I brought in ended up hooking up with the barber and they all had kids. I kid you not. Oh my god. There are about eight. <laughs> kids that were born because of Final Cuts. I am not lying to you, you know? So (laughs) fast forward a little, and um, (laughs) I decided to just put more barbers in there. And then I dabbled in um, life insurance first, and then that didn't work out. I I also dabbled in chauffeuring. This is weird. Uh, This is is a little bit that nobody knows about me, Yeah, I was like, I don't know this part about So what happened, (laughs) I had clients. So without a doubt, barbering, you get every walk of life. So when someone sits in a chair... After years, you get really comfortable with them that tell you what they do. So it always it always gauged my interest. I had a couple of taxi drivers that became chauffeurs, and they were explaining the numbers. And I'm a numbers guy. Right? You tell me numbers, I get intrigued. So I decided to do chauffeuring for like a year and a half just to see because the idea was to buy a, a fleet of cars 
and, you know, have chauffeurs work for me and I just get that residual. So I'm always constantly trying to work yep. that angle, right? I ended up in the insurance agency. It didn't work out. So I, I, I still always had, thank God, I always had the barbershop, right? I dabbled in life insurance and I got into what was a multi, multi-level multi marketing company. And I honestly, I not a knock on those things. They're great if, if you know, that's for you. But it wasn't for me. Life insurance wasn't what I what I really liked to do. But I kept my license because it was. I learned a lot about it, mm-hmm. and I did. I did notice that a lot of people. One, everyone needs it. I'm just going to flat out say it. Everyone should have life yeah, insurance. We have. I it. mean, you know, we're going. You know, everyone meets the maker at one point. You know, so after the life insurance wasn't me, I went straight. You know, I, I kept doing the barbering thing from like 2018 to 2020. I, I refocused. And that's when the whole real estate idea came up, um, talking with my managing broker now, slash Michael Mai, and um, I went for it. So I ended up getting licensed February of 2020, and what happens in March of 2020? COVID, yeah. COVID hits, right? Which was good because it gave me the the opportunity to study and learn um, yeah. things about real estate. You know, a lot of people learned a lot of things during that COVID, right? That COVID period where we were shut down. When we reopened the barbershop, like some fifteen or sixteen weeks later, the those riots happened. Yeah, that that was the summer of of twenty twenty when the riots started in downtown, and then that was on a Saturday. On Sundays, when it actually went into the neighborhoods, the very next day, I had. I remember, I had we, trucks out that day. I see, put my trucks back in. Isn't that scary? It was yeah. scary, and the mayor, the then mayor Lori Lightfoot, said we were going to reopen the following Wednesday. So that was already in a place. She's like, we're going to have an opening that Wednesday. I don't know the exact dates, but I was getting the the, the barbershop repaired. I, I had purchased um, brand new air conditioners because I wanted the air to, to flow oh, cleanly. Yeah. And, you know, we were putting up, I mean, you look at it now, you go back and we're, we're putting up like, shower curtains and everything like yeah. everything. I, I still have like the plastic devices it, it was, you know to me it was now looking back at it now some of it's just foolishness you know but we wanted to make everyone feel safe feel you know yeah. we wanted everyone to feel comfortable we bought disinfecting machines and um we reopened on wednesday so you have the stress of set of sunday i have two i have these hvac guys putting in air conditioning and i'm literally seeing these cars racing towards the brickyard mall and it's cars full of young people, guys and girls, just young people. And you know they're up to no good. So I'm nervous. Barbers are like, we're in a group chat. Should we go stand out in front of the barbershop? I'm like, no. no. I got insurance. Stay home. Stay with your families. Don't worry about it. Whatever happens, happens. You know, we'll, we'll deal with it. Why don't but it we was... talk about that a little bit? Because I think mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur, right, it's very, uh, when people think about being an entrepreneur, they think, oh, you're your own boss. You set yeah. your own schedule. Must be nice. <laughs> like we're the people having lunch on a Tuesday in jeans. And the must be nice. Yeah. And you really have to worry about every aspect. Like look at everything you just said right there. We're preparing for COVID. Mm-hmm. You have the HVAC people. You got shower curtains. You got disinfectant. You have riots happening outside. Mm-hmm. You have to keep, you've closed down for 15, 16 weeks. Mm-hmm. Your barbers aren't making money. But it's we're also scared to come back in. And as an entrepreneur, it's not like we could go to the CEO and be like, hey, you know what? It's really bad out there. We, yeah. you know, it's like you're it. Yeah. You have to make all the decisions. You have to be the one that's thinking 
of every little thing that's going to happen if a water pipe bursts, if mm-hmm. this happens, if they bust a window, you know, having your insurance, making sure you're covered, taking care of your team, mate, you know what? Deciding that we tried to do a beauty salon and it didn't work. Right. And so, you know, all those things are what happens when you are an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where, you know, now that you, you know, you say all that, I'm, I quit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I quit. I'm done. But you don't think about it. Right. You just I have been put in a position and kind of along the lines of everything that you just said, not under not when I thrusted myself into being a, a my own boss, my driving force behind it was I started working at the age of 15 and I just did what my Why'd mom you so long. I know. Right. <laughs> what took you so long? Right. Yeah. Um, my mom and dad were factory workers. Yeah. You with know, my parents, with your they parents. worked together. Yeah. They were, gave each other rights to work. So they're factory workers and, you know, they came from the motherlands, mm-hmm. you know, all they knew was work hard, go to school, mijo, mijo, go, go to school, make sure you, you, you stay in school, stay in school, stay in school. And that's, that's all they harped on. And then they're like, you know, cause you don't want to work as hard as we do. You know, I stand 15 hours a day. I stand, yeah. you know, and, and I saw it in them. I saw how it wore it down. But I learned from their hard work whenever whenever I did my job from the age of 15 until 22, I did it at my best ability. One thing that I did notice was doing it for others and others above me getting the 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 um, the kudos or, or that nerved me. I'm like, I did that, you know? And I'm mm-hmm. like, no, I'm going to do this for myself. So... You know, you get into that and you're thinking, heck, just exactly everything that you, it's going to be awesome. I have, yeah, I can do whatever I boss. want. I don't yeah, have a boss, boss anymore. <laughs> it's not that, especially when you start having to realize you have, you have hungry people that, that you got to take care of. And like right. you said, now you're at this point, for them. I'm responsible for it. And yeah. it was nerve wracking. Like even from the beginning of the shutdown, throughout the shutdown, knowing that none of my barbers had the ability to make money was really tough. And I was searching the internet left and right trying to figure out how can I get them some type of monetary help. Mm-hmm. Because to be honest with you, the way a barbershop is set up nowadays, the, mo- the majority of them, they're all independent contractors. They actually pay me to rent a chair to make money. So yeah. if they didn't save money, well, I have that's not my responsibility when you really... If we if we're cold-hearted people... Yeah, but if not, you know Omar, you know that my one of the barbers <laughs> had a fire in his house. Correct, yes. And we all yeah. chipped in. Yeah, we came together as a group and, um, you know, there's he had a fire and I, I put it out there. We put a GoFundMe. I didn't expect a GoFundMe. I, I think I put like 2000 bucks just to help them. We ended up with like $10,000 to help them out. But their fire, it, and it took it took their home and, you know, God bless them. They had insurance. God bless them. You yeah. know, I've always taken it upon myself that treat others the way you would always want to be treated. You yeah. know, that's like the golden rule, right? So... I've always made sure that they were in good shape because if they're in good shape, I'm in good shape. Let's just right. be realistic, yeah. you know? So so they're, they have to be doing well for myself to be doing well. And that's not a selfish statement. You know, it's to me, it's it's what we're supposed to do. If, we're, if we have the responsibility to take care of, of something, we got to do our best at it. And so when the barbershop reopened, by the time the barbershop reopened with all that happening and all those 15 weeks of stress I'll never forget how hard that week was. I made a decision right there and then that I'm going to sell the barbershop and just go with real estate. And then here we are today. It's been real estate since I sold the barbershop in officially in October or September of 2020. And 
I've been in real estate ever since. One of the topics I wanted us to cover today was closing the barbershop or mm -hmm. like when you sold it. And I told you I uh, I had a logistics company that I started, you know, March of 2019. Thank God, because that helped me provide for my family during the pandemic because mm -hmm. my other job would have gone away. Right. I started Elevar in January of 2019. I started Priority Parcels in March of 2019. And then I made the decision last summer to close down priority parcels. So we uh, we shut down operations September 30th. Wow. And, you know, I'm still working through a lot of the contracts and mm. getting out of it because it takes a while to shut down a business. It probably, it takes no time to start one. Right. It takes forever to shut one down. Wow. But I think there's a lot of emotions that go with shutting down or, or selling a business. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, I love my my drivers. They're amazing yeah. people. I know every experience, you know, you become like a family. Like I could tell yeah. you whose mom had cancer, who was yeah. pregnant, who was going to, you know, where vacations they were going. Mm -hmm. And I think we become very vested in the community that we built at work. Correct. When I shut down, you talk about the riots and things like that. I was like, we will not go out on the road if we don't feel safe. Absolutely. We will not stay out there if we don't feel like we can come home. And mm -hmm. having the mentality of being a herd, like we go out together we come home together nice yeah so i used to tell everyone it's it's catch one catch all when you're done with your load go help someone else so that we can all come back at the same time nice. closing a business or deciding to move on is really hard mm -hmm. um especially when you think about that was your bread and butter for 20 years easily yeah. and it was that comfort of going back there that you know that you could try other things and fail Correct. Because you have this as a safety blanket, Correct. right? Correct. And then, you know, when it, when it's taken away from you, and it's one of those things where I wanted to rip it off like a Band-Aid. Yeah. Because I did have that comfort zone throughout that 20 years, so I could dabble and stuff like that. So now I put myself in a position, or I put myself in, the, in real estate without that safety net. So it's sink or swim. So if I don't perform, it's it's a wrap, right? I have to figure it out. I have to go with it, you know? And if anyone knows anything about real estate, the last year and a half was really rough. Once they raised the rates, things went down. There were agents dropping out like left and right. At one point, at the height of 2021, which was at the next boom that happened, mm -hmm. there were about 1.3 million licensed agents. By the middle of last year, they said about... 60,000 of them just called it quits. You know, they wow. completely called it quits. Now, the average agent prior to all of this, let's just say the average agent for the last 10 years sold about seven homes per year. That's the that's averaged out. Last year, 49% of agents sold one home. 49% of agents sold one home. Now, most of them are part-timers, to mm -hmm. be honest with you, but like I'm full-time. This is my gig. This is all I do. So when I saw that number, I was like, well, I feel a lot better because I didn't meet my goal that I wanted to. It was really rough. Nobody was buying. Nobody right. was selling. The, it's the year of home improvement. I was. mean, look at the Home Depot stock. It went like up. It went up. Yeah. You know, so people people decided to stay where they're at. You know, they have equity and they're like, you know, they're staying put. Last year I had a lot of, oh, I'm gonna wait till the rates go down. I'm gonna wait, I'm gonna wait, I'm gonna wait. That's all I kept hearing is I'm gonna wait. And sure enough, I've been calling those people, hey, it's it's next year, it's hey. next year. <laughs> you know? So I, I I you have to adapt, you have to move, you have to get these people to get back up. Now without that safety net, you have to do what you gotta do. So how'd you do that? How'd you stay flexible when and and I'll apply this for like all your businesses, when when times go down, you know, when people aren't participating in what you're selling, like how do you stay flexible or what did you try? So um, 
you know, I still cut hair and you know, that the guys I actually, I cut hair now there's, it's twofold. Mm-hmm. One is for my sanity. Like it's my therapy. Without that, I would probably need some type of professional help, right? <laughs> so, yeah. but the other the other part of it is it's nice little spending cash here and there, you know. Yeah. And they pay well. My guys pay well for my time, and um, you know I only allot it for one day out of the week. I just want to make sure I'm concentrating more on real estate. But without that, you have to adjust. You have to adjust. like I've been making coffee at home. I make my meals at home. You know, you when when things are good, you don't realize how much money you spend how out there. How good it is. The subscriptions. Yeah. You know what I mean? I had subscriptions. I didn't even know. Like, uh, when I cleaned up subscriptions, I realized I was spending $250, oh, close to 250 bucks a month for no, for like stuff I didn't know. we cancel internet, and now we have all these other ones. And I'm like, we're not saving money. You're not, because then- well, Now we're what, buying everything a la carte. What's the cable? Cable was That's like. That's what I, yeah. Yeah, cable went up to like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, but the a la carte stuff, yeah. right? And you start saying, wait a minute, I'm actually paying almost the same, but. That's, you know, we're actually about to cancel Netflix because I, I don't see anything. I don't watch, like, I don't watch TV. My, mm-hmm. You know, my, my wife is a, is a binger and, and um, I started binging with her during the holidays because it got slow at work, you yeah. know. But I told her, like, how do you do this all day? This is ridiculous. You know, she's a teacher. So she has she needs free her time. She breaks. needs her mental Exactly. Because yeah, exactly. she, it's, that's a rough job. I mean, teachers, if you're listening to this, I commend you. It's, it's a, that's a rough gig, especially with these kids nowadays who are so they're just not well raised <laughs> ill-mannered you know like oh you and wanna... teachers if you want to get out read my yeah. book pencils down oh yeah uh, good i'm gonna i'm gonna check it out but <laughs> but yeah that's you know so it's rough it is rough when when you don't have that safety net and you just got to make it happen at the end of the day you can't sit one don't sit there and, and wallow in misery don't you know a lot of times we're self-saboteurs yeah we that's are. the reality yeah. we're, we're self-saboteurs i was i was listening to a TED talk where the, where the guy was talking about how without even knowing that we're easily programmed, but we're wired to be in our comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And it's getting out of that comfort zone that stops us. That's the self-sabotage. So you can't sit there and just keep crying about stuff, you know, make things happen. And that's what you got to go out there and do. I love that. Omar, thank you. I think that is really great advice. I love your entrepreneurial story. <laughs> I love being a witness to it. I love that you cut my kid's hair and my dad's hair and that you are always in motion. Well, thanks for stopping by. Mm-hmm. Having thanks a for having me with us. Thanks for having me again. I love this. I love the podcast. I love what you guys are doing. And mm-hmm. I, I definitely wish you to continue success. I've, I've known Nayeli my entire life and you as well. You're an inspiration and, oh, you know, thanks. keep doing, keep doing it, keep going and fighting. I love to see Latinas, especially being out there and you're paving a way without. Yeah, we got to use our voice. Amen to that. Amen to that. Thank you. All right. We'll see you next time on Corporate Cafecito. Corporate Cafecito was produced in beautiful downtown Oak Park at Boulevard Studio. Audio engineer and editor is Mike Mitchell. <laughs>